This morning we're continuing our series in Galatians on the road to freedom, and we're going to be looking at just a few verses today, and I want to start off uh, with, with the first verse in the passage, and then we'll look at, this, at the last verse in just a moment and see how they kind of bookend together and then fill in the blanks. So we're going to start in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. You can turn in your Bible or illuminate your Bible or whatever it is that you do and, uh, and follow along, read along with me. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, you have probably heard the phrase before, very common in culture, we are all God's children. We're all God's children. But, but the Bible teaches, well, not so much. The Bible teaches that actually we are God's children, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who have, who have personally crossed that line. And when the Apostle Paul talks about putting on Christ, he is actually making a reference to something that, that goes on in the culture. He's making a reference to clothing. When a Roman boy were to grow up and he were to become an adult, one of the ways that they would signify that moment, uh, the moment of just coming of age, was, is that they would give him a special toga. It would signify that he had crossed into adulthood and now officially this boy has the full rights of the family. Now, I don't know how many of you can still fit into clothes like maybe when you were in middle school um, or most of us cannot. I might have a couple of things, and that's kind of sad too. But the um, so I've been about the same height now for a while. But the um, I I know that one of the ways that I experienced kind of this passing from clothing from childhood to adulthood is is being a dad. I have two boys, as most of you know, ten and seven. And my wife had always imagined her life as a mom as dressing little girls, but God in his sovereignty and his humor gave us two boys. And so to kind of, I think this particular thing was introduced as a compromise for some woman at some point. I learned very early on as my boys were infants, I learned about something. And guys, if you don't know about it, it's okay. You're you're manly for not knowing. But I had to learn the hard way. It's called smocking. I don't know if you're familiar with clothes that have smocking in them. Uh, They are designed to make little boys look like little girls. And they are... But they have, you know, there's a special stitch a lot of times across the top of, of, of the shirt or the blouse. And, um, and a lot of times they would have like little cartoony giraffes or little elephants kind of hidden in the smocking. Occasionally you'd get a truck and I would, that's just wrong. A truck's not supposed to look like that. A truck's not supposed to smile and have big eyes and wink at you. It's supposed to be a truck. It's supposed to have mud on it and, you know, that kind of. But it wasn't like this when it was when there was smocking involved. And so I made up a rule. And if you're a husband, you know how well it goes when we make up rules as the men in the house. So I, but I, I made up a rule. And here's the rule. Once the boys turn two, no more smocking. That's it. I've had enough. And I can actually remember a, we'll call it a discussion my wife and I had about a gift that was given to my youngest boy, Wesley, when he turned two because one of her friends thought he would look really cute in this. And I just looked at her across the room and I just, I'm thinking to myself, and I told her later, he's never going to have that on his body. He's not. It's just not, just take a picture and tell him, thank you, uh, just hold it up to him, but he's not going to wear it. You see, once a, a Roman boy had put on his adult toga, there was no going back. I mean, he would never pick up and wear that previous garment again. And And this part of the letter of Galatians, Paul is painting a picture for people who have trusted Jesus Christ by faith. You are a child of God. 
And right at the beginning, he's saying, listen, grow up. If you are still caught up in the things that Pastor Brian talked about last week, legalism, racism, and, and, and elitism, he said, if you're, if you're still caught up in those things, he compares you to a child. And he says in Galatians 3, you can go back and read it later, you need a guardian so you don't hurt people. And grow up, get out of those things and understand that you are in Christ Jesus. And the verses that we're looking at today, I think it's so important to understand there in verse 26 of chapter 3 that it begins with the words, in Christ Jesus. If you've taken the step to become a follower of Jesus Christ by faith before you should attempt to understand anything else about, about the Bible, you first need to understand what it means to be in Christ. Like the song we just sang, in Christ alone. This is your identity as a person who's put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is the first one to give us this phrase, in Christ. After Jesus' death and led by the Holy Spirit to write these letters, Paul is giving us new language to help us understand our relationship with Jesus. In fact, in the letters that are for sure attributed to him, the phrase, in Christ, is used 216 times. Now, this is not just about labeling yourself a Christian, but it's a mindset for how to live. At one point in Jesus' life, he compared his interaction with, with us as his followers as that of between a vine and the branches. Jesus said, if you'll remember in John chapter 15, he said, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener who takes care of it all, but I am the true vine and you are the branches. He says, abide in me. You need to be connected to me. He, he tells this parable. He gives us this, this illustration as a way of saying there has to be this constant interweaving in our lives. If you want to produce fruit in your life, if you want to experience the abundant Christian life, there has to be this ongoing, constant connection with Jesus. That's part of the relationship. That's part of the deal. And if it's not there, then eventually you just wither up and fade and, and have to be carried off. So the idea is that everything good that I have, everything good that I am comes from Jesus. Pastor Mark Driscoll describes an understanding of being in Christ this way. He says this, he says, it's not you, it's Christ in you. It's Christ through you. It's Jesus's life changing your life. It's Jesus's life taking residence in your life. And it is the life of Jesus producing fruit through your life all that I have, if I have any chance of producing anything that is going to last into eternity, it is because I am allowing Jesus to call the shots in my life and I'm constantly connected to him. I'm trying to have the mind of Christ. I'm, I'm trying to follow his words, to love God and to love people. I'm trying to love my enemies as myself. As I go about my day, I'm trying to make disciples and I consider all that I own to actually be his. And all of those thoughts are only possible if we're totally immersed in our relationship with Christ alone. And the benefits of this is that when God the Father looks at the ones who have believed in Jesus by faith, he sees his son. God sees Jesus in us. That becomes our identity, perfect and resurrected and with power, God sees his people. 
And you have to understand this. Before there is activity, there's identity. Before there's activity, there's identity. Watching the activity of someone's life is probably the easiest way to decipher what they think about themselves. For the Christian, our identity should not begin with how we view ourselves or even how others view us, but with how God sees us. And when he sees us, he sees his son. I mean, you may describe yourself in all sorts of ways. We use all kinds of different words and language, don't we? I mean, you might say you're, you're short or you're tall or you're fat or you're skinny or you're introverted or you're extroverted or you're musical or tone deaf or whatever it is, all points in between. It's human nature to put a, a lot of emphasis on the outward appearance. And of course we do. But the Bible teaches us that God looks at the heart. Sometimes we describe ourselves as we relate to our families. You might describe yourself as, as being the dad or the mom. For some of you, you would say, I'm the firstborn, or I'm the baby, or I'm the middle, or I'm the black sheep, or whatever your deal is. But these are not identities. These are activities. And from an inward view, oftentimes we, we know and we see, they're right in front of our face, we see our own flaws, we see our own sins, our own insecurities, our, our misguided thoughts, our mistakes. Listen, God is not blinded to those things, but because his son died in our place, the apostle Paul teaches us that when God sees us by his grace, he sees Jesus. Our identity begins with Jesus. It is him who died, him who sacrificed, him who gave up everything for us so that we might have life. So our lives should begin with him in Christ alone, in Christ alone. That's the first verse of this thought. Let's go to the last verse. It's in chapter four, verse seven. He says this. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now the Apostle Paul in his writings, he talks about slavery a lot. He uses it as an illustration in a variety of different ways with a variety of different applications. He's already used it in this letter and he's already talked about being a slave to legalism, elitism, racism, all the things Pastor Brian talked about last week. He says they're slaves to their own issues in the culture and they're slaves to things that tie them down and and prevent them from experiencing how Jesus intended for them to live. But then as we get to chapter four, the apostle Paul makes a turn. He then begins to say that anyone who is in Christ, you are no longer slaves. You should no longer consider yourself a slave. You should no longer think of yourself as a slave, but you are sons and heirs. And again, he's not just labeling. This is not just how we are supposed to call ourselves as Christians, but he's giving us new language to help us understand who Christ makes us to be at our very core. He describes us as sons, and then he adds the word heir. He changes the whole ballgame. He gives us a brand new understanding. He says, you see, to be made a son is someone who would inherit the rights the privileges, the authority, and the fortunes of their father. And it's important to understand adoption in the first century because it's pretty different than we have today. First of all, every son had to be adopted, even natural born sons. 
Every single son had to be adopted. It had to do a little bit with the ceremony we were talking about a, little mo- a moment ago with getting your new toga. There was a moment, there was a festival every year in March where a son would actually be adopted by his father, typically around the age of 18, but it could happen at any time the father thought that his boy was ready. When he was ready to really be looked at as an adult, he would get his new toga at the festival and he would be officially adopted by his dad. And from that moment on, he wouldn't dream of going back. But there's another side to this as well. There's another kind of adoption in the first century in Rome as well. You know, in our modern day, it is estimated that there are about 153 million orphans in the world. Some of them are there from, from losing parents, parents who've died. Some are there from parents who just have just sent them away in cultures where that's acceptable. I was in Burkina Faso just last week and, and there are children who gather at the street corners there to, to beg for money because a lot of these families, particularly the, the brand of Islam that's in West Africa, these, these children perhaps made their, their mom or their dad unhappy for even the smallest of reasons and they have no desire to raise them anymore so they just send them out into the street. And many of these children, they're in danger of of disease, they're in danger of malnutrition, and I would say that all of them are in danger of becoming part of the modern day slave trade. In fact, because of this issue, primarily the, this epidemic we have with orphans in the world, there are more slaves today than at any other time in the history of our world. But adoption for us in the West, in Europe and in the States, it, it looks quite different, doesn't it? In fact, it, it kind of starts out kind of impersonal. I mean, you can go today and start the process if you want. I mean, you can go to a website, a variety of websites. You can put in your preferences. That would have been kind of scary if you did that with your own kids. But you can, you can put in the approximate age you want or range of ages. You can, you can maybe even specify some things about their looks. You can, you can let them know what gender you want and that kind of thing. And you can get the process started in a very impersonal way. I mean, at some point in the process, you actually get a face that, that stays with you and, and, and this is gonna be the child that, that you're giving a home to and, and that's a wonderful thing. But in the first century, it wasn't quite that impersonal at all. It was actually very personal. Let me give you some definitions from a Roman historian. He says this about adoption. He says, adoption is the legal device by which a person leaves his own family and enters into the family of another. Easy enough. Here's another statement. This is a little different. Adoption was not necessarily for the protection of the one being adopted. The primary purpose of adoption was that the newly adopted family member would carry on the family's practices. So here's the deal. In the first century, before you would be adopted, you would be asked... In other words, you could say no. And people did it all the time. Perhaps you really liked the part of the country that you lived in or the part of the world that you lived in. Perhaps you didn't want to leave your family name behind. Maybe you were content with your level, with your status in society, and you didn't want the pressure to maybe take a step up and and the pressure of, of maybe a different family and their expectations of you or whatever it was. But in order for you to be adopted, you had to agree to it. You would only become an heir when you accepted the invitation. So oftentimes though, obviously, the invitation of adoption 
would be accepted because a vast majority of the people that were adopted were slaves. The culture had virtually no middle ground. You were either free with rights and privileges and ownership, or you were a slave. And if you were a slave, you were considered inferior. Any children that were born to you would be considered illegitimate. There would be heavy burdens of labor put on them. Oftentimes they were beaten and and mistreated. Slaves owned nothing, yet they could be assigned debts because of the food and shelter they may have received while they were working for their master. They could be cast out or killed at any time. It was a life of fear and oppression. It was a stifling, suffocating life. But if you were adopted, all of that could change. I mean, legally, the one being adopted received the rights to the property, to the business. They had the authority of the one adopting them. It was kind of a universal succession plan. Also for the one being adopted, any debts that they had were automatically removed because their old identity was removed as well. They were now known under a new family name. And the Apostle Paul comes along and says that, listen, in Christ, you are given the opportunity to be a part of the family of God and have all the rights and privileges of the Savior himself. When God looks at those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who have been justified by faith, he sees Jesus. You have a new status, a new standing, a new name. It's one that doesn't count your shortcomings. It's one that doesn't count your sins. He has removed your past. Every person on the planet has been chosen for adoption. He is not willing that any should be slaves. The Bible says he is not willing that any should perish. You cannot earn this. The choice is either to accept it or reject it. It's been made available to everyone, which is why the Apostle Paul would go on to say in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male or female, which was a huge deal in that culture. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. All the promises of scripture given to those who accept God's adoption plan. About the same time the letter of Galatians was being written, John was recounting some things about his life with Christ. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 11, he says, He, being Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And Galatians picks it up, Paul picks it up in chapter 4, and he says, And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. Think of yourself that way. Nothing can enslave you but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, this particular way of understanding God as our father is no little thing. I mean, these words, Abba, Father, are absolutely the most intimate ways you can refer to God. The closest thing that we have to this level of closeness that barely does it justice in our English language is simply the word daddy. I mean, Jesus used this word in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his death. In Mark chapter 14, he he prayed, Abba, Father, Daddy. Dad, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, Daddy. 
Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, for a lot of people, I know this is where it can get tough. If there's one barrier that I would say many, many Christians struggle with in an ongoing way at one point or another, it is with this idea that Almighty God invites those who are in Christ to come to him and call him dad. I mean, Satan attacks relationships that fathers have with sons or daughters all over the world, no doubt because of this powerful description of how we are to come to God. Let's be honest. Some of you take no joy today in being someone's son or daughter because of the treatment you received while you were young. Maybe words you received as a child were consistently and overbearingly critical. Maybe there was abuse. Maybe the father in your life would not allow himself to engage emotionally. Perhaps in the relationship you had with your own father, there is great hurt, great disappointment, and great pain. All of this adds up to a great deal many people being completely uncomfortable with the idea of having a deep, personal, intimate relationship with God as father. An author by the name of Donald Miller, he he writes about this. He grew up without a father and he writes about growing up and reading books about trolls and hobbits and princes and castles and kings and dragons. And he recalls a particular book with a boy who would lie on the back of his own personal dragon and and ride it around to lay against the the spine of this awesome fire-breathing beast and to be able to call it your own. And one day while he's reading this and someone has said something to him about having a dad, at some point he said, you know what, having a dad to me was no different than the idea of owning a dragon. It just seemed mythological to me. You know, some of you, you wish you had had a dad who had been there to to throw the baseball around with you, maybe to, to teach you how to ride a bike. But at the end of the day for you, it's about as real as owning a dragon. But the scriptures tell of a personal God who offers an, an offer of adoption to every one of us because he wants us to call him dad. And it would be an absolute insult to accept the offer of adoption and then not spend time with the one by whose name you are now called. One author says it this way, when Christians value the father more for what he can do for them than for intimacy and love, they eventually begin to seek to fulfill their own selfish desires rather than enjoy the relationship they have with God. And that's so true, isn't it? We try to to fill that void with all kinds of things, with with relationships where we put pressure on, on people to meet expectations they'll never be able to meet with a pursuit of, of possessions in an ongoing way. It just never stops having the latest, having the greatest, maybe with a, a pursuit of, of power and trying to get yourself to a, a particular position, whatever it is, with tons of misplaced passions. And all of those things can leave us feeling guilty and empty and cause us to forget that when God sees us, he sees his son. You see, if you do not believe you are lovable, you will find it almost impossible to accept God's love and to connect with him in this way. Many years ago, there was a pastor and missionary by the name of Watchman Nee. And he tells the story one night of someone who had recently put their faith and trust in Christ coming to his home in the middle of the night. And the person was in great distress and they couldn't sleep. And the person says to him, 
Pastor, no matter how much I pray, no matter how hard I try, I simply cannot seem to be faithful to my Lord. I think I'm losing my salvation. And he said, do you see this dog here? That's my dog. He's house trained. He never makes a mess. He's obedient. He's a pure delight to me. He stops barking at his brother when I ask. He comes when he's called. That's my dog. I love my dog. Now in the other room, there is a baby boy. He likes to make a mess. He likes to throw his food around. He does things in his drawers that can't be mentioned in church. He's a total mess. But who is going to inherit my kingdom? Not my dog. My son is my heir. You are Jesus Christ's heir because it was for you that he died. Folks, we are Christ's heirs, not by our own perfection because it's just not there. We cannot earn it, but by complete means of the grace of God. I love the author who says, I'll take grace. I don't know exactly what it is, but I'll take it. Listen, if your identity is wrapped up in how well you do your job, the the size of your portfolio, your outward appearance, or any other superficial gauge of happiness, rather than what Christ has done for you on the cross, you are going to struggle. You're not going to experience the life that God has for you. You will always have your guard up, even with those closest to you, with with your spouse, with your kids, with your closest friends, because you do not believe that anyone could possibly love you. But the message of God is completely different. In Christ, we have a father who is completely different, who extends an offer of adoption unlike any other. At the end of the day, adoption is about receiving a new father. At the end of the day, adoption is about receiving a new name. And we have a father who loves us first. He is the father who wants to call us his children. He's the father who wants to give us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's the father who forgives. He's a father who is faithful even even when we are not. He's a father who gives hope, confidence, and encouragement. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is a father who in his mercy gave us a living hope through the sacrifice and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And like a child who looks up and believes their dad is a hero, the apostle Paul says in Galatians, he says, don't just whisper about this. Don't just talk about this. Don't just know it for trivia, but look up and cry out, Abba, father, daddy, he's my dad, my dad. How do I know this is true? How do I know this is how the God of the universe feels about me? How do I know that it's okay to open up my heart in this way when it comes to the things of God? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us one other little nugget in this passage. It's in verse six of chapter four. He says this, because you're sons, not slaves, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Jesus said it this way when during his ministry on earth, he said, I will ask the father and he will give to you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. 
You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know, from the moment you cross the line of faith in Jesus Christ, as confirmation of this legal transaction of adoption, as confirmation that it's been accepted, as confirmation that your sins have been removed, and that God wants you to know him as daddy. He gives us his Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that for people who don't believe in Jesus, that this part sounds foolish. Of course it does. But if we believe the words of Jesus and we believe the promises of this book, we know that for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's different. God has sent us his spirit and the spirit confirms for us it is okay. In fact, it's exactly how God, want, how the father wants you to call him. He wants you to come close to him and he wants you to know him as dad. He confirms it in all of our hearts time and time again, day after day after day. He's a father like none other, like none we've ever experienced, like none any of us could ever measure up to be. He's God almighty and he sees his son when he sees us. And don't allow yourself to just be labeled as having the the Holy Spirit. Don't allow this part of the book to just be trivia to you, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is present for you at the moment of salvation and and present in our daily lives after that. Don't just be a a person that thinks you can live and do all this in in your own power, but rather allow the Spirit of God to lead and guide and direct you every, every day and to confirm everything that God has in his word. It's the spirit of God that reminds us in Romans, the apostle Paul said, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He would go on to say, it's the spirit that reminds us that neither height nor depth nor any other thing can separate us from the love of our great and awesome Dad, he says in the middle of that chapter, he says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of, of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, of sons and daughters by whom we cry, daddy, dad, Abba, father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. His name, his power, his authority, his identity is available in all of us. When I was about six years old, I was at a birthday party with some other six-year-olds. And for some reason, I have a a pretty decent memory of this. For some reason, someone thought it was a good idea to show a bunch of six-year-old boys the movie The Swamp Thing. Now, um, I'm not great with scary movies. I'm just not. Uh, I'd rather laugh. I'd rather see stuff get blown up and um, in a healthy way. And um, I can remember, I have a vivid memory of this creature losing its arm 
and the arm growing back. And it just wasn't right. And, and so, as a kid, this scared significant things out of me. And I remember going home that night, and now I'm in like cold sweats. I mean like cold sweats, then hot sweats, and then I can't sleep. And I'm up. I'm driving my mom crazy. And I came from, come from, a divorced home. My parents divorced when I was five. They had, they had divorced before I saw this movie, Bad Timing on the Airport. But I had, I had divorced before I saw this movie. And I was one of those kids that um, I spent, like, part of my week with one parent and part at, at the other parent. And, and because it was a Christian divorce, uh, church was the pickup spot. So you would, you know, drop me off at church, one parent would drop me off, and the other one would pick me up. Some of you, we have people in KidQuest running interference for you every week, don't we? I mean, I know how this works. Some of you come to one service and your ex goes to the other service. Don't, you don't have to nod, but I know who you are. And, uh, and so uh, it's okay. And um, I know this happens, and it's unfortunate, but, but it happens. And it was hard. It was hard. It, it is hard. Growing up with one parent in one spot and one parent in another, and it was hard one night when I was six because I wanted to talk to my dad. And my mom is trying everything she can to make this work without him. I mean, there's been Tylenol, there's been Motrin, probably some other type of drugs to calm a child down. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's been like, get him, get him cold, so, you know, cold bath, and then he's hot now, so do something different. Finally, after a little while of this, she calls my dad and puts him on the phone. And I still have pretty decent memory of this. Just a few words and the swamp thing went away and instantly there was peace because I talked to my dad. And you know, I'm an imperfect dad we grow up, all of us, with imperfections and families that aren't perfect. But I'm so thankful that we have a father without any imperfections. And the difference in this father, and I want, I want you to hear this very, very clearly. He did not send his son to die to have visitation privileges. He did not send his son to die to be a part-time dad. It's not visitation he wants. It's habitation. It's every single day you can call on him. It's every single day you can count on him. He has promised to never leave you or forsake you. And he has not come to make you a slave. He has come to make you free. And he has come to call you by the name of his resurrected son and to give you a life that you cannot even begin to ask or imagine, the abundant life he wants you to experience. But you've got to be willing to let him be dad. Would you pray with me? Today, if you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we want to give you that opportunity. God has extended 
his offer of adoption to every single person on this planet. And you can accept it or you can reject it, but it's the heart of God that you would accept it with everything he's got. He sent his son for you. And today, perhaps you would pray for the first time, God, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God, I want to be made your son, your heir. There's nothing I can do to earn this. I don't know why you would do this, God, but I accept today that you have chosen me. I accept today that your son died for my sins and that he's risen today. And God, I know that parts of this even, they, they don't know, it doesn't all make sense. But God, I believe that your spirit will be with me to help me along the way. Today with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've not ever accepted Christ, but you did just in this moment, we want to invite you at the end of the service today to go to our help center, the two tables out there in the atrium. Just let us know today. Hey, I, I, I prayed. I, I crossed that line of faith. I accepted God's adoption plan for me. If you're uncomfortable going to the tables out there, even in a little more anonymous way, we have people at the edges of the stage after every service. We call them our life care ministers. They're here for whatever's going on in your life. You can come and talk with them today as well. For the rest of you, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, for the Christ followers in the room, I don't know how you view yourself, but I know how God sees you. I know that when he looks at you, he sees his son and he loves you. And I know you've screwed up because I have too. But I know that God forgives us time and time and time again. And he would not want you to allow any flaw in your activity to mess with your identity and to hold you back. Today, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask everybody just to do something. You can do it in your heart. You don't have to do it out loud. Maybe some of you might feel led to do that. But just for everyone in the room, I'm going to do something that sounds a little bit overbearing. And I'm going to not only invite you to pray, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something to pray. Before you talk to God, I, I want to ask you if you will just address him as daddy. And then pray whatever's on your heart. you know our struggles you know our weaknesses daddy you know how we mess up you know how we fall short daddy I'm so thankful you're there I'm so thankful that you hear and answer every prayer I'm so thankful that you forgive every sin every hurt so thankful that there's no darkness that you can't shine light in. God, I'm so thankful that you're there. Daddy, I'm so thankful that you're there. 
on the moments, in the moments that hurt so bad that we just, we can't even express them. The moments when our circumstances are overwhelming, Daddy, you've promised to be in the middle of them and you've promised to know us as your sons and your daughters. Daddy, thank you for not making us a slave, but thank you for giving us new life today. Thank you that all our old debts are gone today. Daddy, I pray that you would give us fresh new language, fresh new understanding of you. Daddy, may we not be afraid to learn to love you more. And may the love that we have for you and in you grow and spill out onto those that we love the most around us in our everyday lives. Daddy, you're so good to us. Thank you for giving us your spirit who confirms with us moment by moment by moment that it's okay that we come to you just like this and speak to you with boldness no matter what the day may bring. Daddy, teach us to love you fresh and new today. Thank you for using your word in all of our lives, including mine today. It's in the name of your son we pray. Amen.